All right. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It is now November 11th. I'm sitting here right now with my good old friend. He's a dentist. Uh, uh, been talking to him for a while. Uh, we work out together. Um, he's an uh, extraordinary person. He's really done a lot. I'm uh, really excited for you guys to listen to him. Um, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, Matt. Um, I, uh, I, I, I guess professionally, or, you know, I, I am a dentist. I'm not sure if you said that. I, I, I've been a dentist in, uh, in, in this town for like 30, 30 some odd years. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, what, what, what are you interested in? I'd be glad to explore anything professionally, athletically, or whatever you might might want to talk about well here on the surviving sticky situations podcast like to get real with people just have a real conversation and you know see what things you've maybe been through uh personally i've been through some like near death experiences and um, i've just been lucky enough to come out the other side a better person and I feel a, a calling to just go and try and tell people or give advice on maybe how to overcome uh, situations. Because as humans, you know, we all have similar experiences. We're all different. Um, but things such as like relationships or um, maybe tr- just. Uh, troubles that you come across in your life that are different predicaments um, maybe that you've gone through? Yeah, so, uh, boy, there's probably, um, you know, I, I, I live, I think, a pretty full life, so um, name a topic, I could probably come up with a sticky situation, but and if that's what you want to do, we can. As far as like in my in my um, profession as a dentist, um, it, it, I mean it wasn't uh, a black or white thing or something that um, had to be resolved in a day. But uh, after feeling like I had a successful practice for a number of years, I <clears throat> kind of felt like. Um, I had the sense of what I was doing maybe didn't have a big impact on society and um, I, I didn't really appreciate um, what what I was doing had a, like a ton of meaning you know so I mean this is going back 20 20 years or so ago so um, I, I made a deliberate effort to kind of Either, either I was going to change professions, I was I was going to move, or um, I was really going to dissect uh, what I did every day and what seemed to help people the most, which made me feel better about myself. And then um, I, I just had to pursue that. 
And that probably made the, the things that I did to acquire that um, capability did have a huge impact in, in how I feel by myself, what, what care I provide. Um, yeah, I guess that's... So, so when you were first getting started, you had trouble finding, uh, feeling like you had maybe a purpose or just wasn't um, maybe getting the, the results you wanted? Is that Yeah, I mean, I felt like I was doing what I was trained to be doing, uh, and I seemed to be performing like my peers or people I admired in the professions, but... Um, yeah, but when getting back to like a purpose-driven life, I guess if you want to describe it as many people have, yeah, I didn't feel my purpose was serving myself. And uh, so I, I, I wasn't being fulfilled in what I was doing, even though I thought I did, you know, I did it well. Um, so I, I definitely needed something else. So I, I, I you know, I, I was searching for a connection to, to, the, to that purpose, you know, at work. Mm -hmm. And how, how did you find your purpose? Like, did you feel like at times you wanted to give up or? So I, I, I think in, in dentistry in particular, um, there's, there was a tendency to be sort of more of an inwardly driven um, group of uh, professionals. Um, for whatever reason, maybe you work in a confined area, um, you depend on yourself, then it's very in, in, independent. But um, maybe we didn't, and I, I think I, in particular, didn't do a good job in integrating um, with the rest of the health profession. And I, I still think that's pretty, pretty pertinent today. And, you know, it, it, it isn't really the best for the, the patients and healthcare, or there wasn't really a, a big sense of gratification um, for me at that time. I mean, for, for other, I can't speak for other uh, dentists, but for me, I wasn't feeling like, um, you know, I was, I was connecting on a, I wasn't making a big enough impact in uh, people's lives, which in turn would have made me feel uh, better about what I was doing. Hmm. So uh, I'm sorry. Am I so what, what, no, what changed that you felt like you over? Yeah, so I was, I was introduced um, to, I mean, I started doing a lot of cosmetic dentistry and I, I kind of got introduced to a group of dentists that um, seemed to have a whole different, they were very interactive. Um, I, um, I could talk to, they were totally open about what they knew, what they didn't know, which was like the difference in, in a lot of my colleagues at the time. I mean, they think they were very defensive. Um, and this group was, was just dynamic, out searching for something new, were positive, happy, um, and, and somewhat contagious. So that, that, that transformation kind of happened a little over 20 years ago. 
And um, specifically, I was introduced to um, some instructors that taught at an institute in Las Vegas. And, you know, I started enrolling in the courses and that really kind of opened me up in the possibilities of what I could do in, this, in my same office uh, without really changing. Uh, it was, I didn't have to move, I didn't have to re-educate uh, myself as far as another profession. I mean, I really had it right there. Uh, I just needed to be able to imp implement and have that kind of uh, uh, understanding that it isn't like just teeth. I don't mean to simplify it that much, but it, you know, it relates the, what we did relates to the entire body and vice versa. And it, um, and it's a very organic and dynamic thing. And it, uh, it, it isn't demeaning. And before I you know, give enough credit for the impact that I could have on people's lives. And that sort of opened up and, and I haven't stopped learning in, t in 20 years. It's, it's still uh, transformative. Um, I know I'm being a little abstract, but I'm, I'm, I'm sort of giving you the emotional part of, uh, you know, kind of what I went through. So it was sticky because I was at, you know, really at a point of deciding if I, this is really what I wanted to do with my life or not. Um, and, you know, I'm really happy I, you know, kept working at, at that profession and, and really sought the, the, even though I didn't know what the answer was, you know, I, 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 like I, I knew there was some, there had to be something better and I could make a more of an impact on patients and, and their health. Mm. So would you say that you were like ready to throw in the towel maybe um, until you came upon those instructors and uh, in Las Vegas that really have that like cutting edge. It seems like they were on the, the cutting edge of like that new dentistry that. Um, yeah, you know what, I, I, I wasn't you. sure what I had to do, but I was really at, at one point prepared to do anything that I, in, involving relocating uh, and, and yeah, get totally changing professions that that's exactly right mm. so so like i know we were talking i don't know if we've ever talked about this before i i don't think so you you know we talk about las Ve you're always going to las vegas like what once a month um so you know I, I i started instructing other dentists there um close to 20 years ago and so i'm obligated to go three to four times a year which is you know three or four days at a time Plus, in the meantime, I, I still take courses there that are offered. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm generally out there six times a year, at least. But, but almost every day I'm involved with, um, oh, information is being in different uh, chat groups and uh, discussion groups. And um, I have a pretty, pretty good network of other dentists who I either teach with or I met there from around the country. That, you know, I talk to daily. So I mean, it's re rewarding socially as well. It's, it's a really good group of people that, you know, just like life. They, they like what they do. They, 
like to travel. I, I, do, I, I take a lot of trips with a lot of these groups as well, you know, which have become good friends of mine. Um, so o overall, it's, made, it's really has made the difference in what I do day to day. Uh, would you say there's like maybe like a single um, piece of technology or um, just like a method that really helps improve like a quality of people's lives when you are at your practice? So, you know, initially uh, I was all about wanting to be able to, it was the time, um, extreme makeovers, uh, uh, the improvements in, in porcelain materials for veneers, small makeovers was, was happening. So I was caught up in that, but what, so that did change people's lives. We were able to transform them in a very predictable manner. And, um, but that, that kind of migrated into a lot of pain management and, um, so when you were asked about a single technology, I guess the biggest thing is, and this kind of relates to what you do day to day as an exercise physiologist, or mm -hmm. I don't know exactly what the title is, but um, so when we're establishing proper bite therapy, which has everything to do with pain management, TMJ, head, headache um, control, you know, clenching, grinding issues, it's, it's measuring muscles, so we, we, you know, I, I do use technology that is a, you know, we, we measure muscle groups, the uh, electroactivity the muscles produce, so EMGs basically, um, of various head and neck muscles to establish proper bite and breathing and the proper um, position that the bite should be in for reconstruction. So it's, it's pretty much everything. I mean, that's, so that, that piece of technology, which um, has been out there for a while, it just just hasn't been utilized in, in dentistry as much as it really should be for a number of reasons. But anyway, that, that, that's made the difference, so. Awesome. Yeah, I know like with, you know, you're showing me some things about different nutrition and, and eating like grain fed uh, so, different you know, studies. Exactly. I'm kind of a history buff too and, and I like anthropology and those things and um, it's in fact I was reading something today about the bacteria in de dental calculus that was found 5,000 years ago that um, Basically, the article, and it was just in a, a normal magazine today somewhere I was reading about actually how the dental health of uh, ancient peoples w was much superior to present day. And it evolves around, you know, foods that are eating, uh, sugars produced, um, pollutants in the air, um, how people breathe, basically. So... Um, oh yeah, breathing. all the allergens you know that have been produced since the industrial revolution, which has totally changed the way people are able to breathe. And there's been a big transformation from nasal breathing, which is optimal, which is you know ingrained. You know, it's, it's everybody become is a 
was born as a nasal breather, but uh, at least 50% of us become mouth breathers because of allergies and, um, you know, reactions to uh, pollutants and um, grain, grain fed versus like grass fed animals, which when that farming transformation uh, took place. So it, it's sort of fascinating that how that's involved in the sort of uh, malfeasance of the dental apparatus and um, mouth shapes. So there's a lot of crowding, there's a lot, of, a lot more pain um, because the, the dentition hasn't developed or the, the bones haven't developed maximally at, or expanded as, as they should have because of the way people have to breathe to mouth breathe. So that was a convoluted answer. Yeah, <laughs> but that, that breathing. Um, so, breathing so basically, my profession is, is like, which is not anything we I would have ever thought of when I'm starting. Is the essence of it is how people breathe, how how you take in oxygen from from birth. That has more impact than anything else that um, that that affects dentistry. Mm-hmm. And it was never talked about. It still isn't that often. So. I remember you showed me that book. It was called The Oxygen Advantage. And um, I really um, absorbed that a lot because myself, I've had some nasal issues from different car accidents and stuff in the past. So uh, with going really consciously making an effort to breathe through my nose, um, I remember in the, the book, they talk about Native American babies, you know, if the baby was breathing out of its mouth, they would like close it and um, close the mouth so that it was just breathing out of the nose and um, stuff, you know, they didn't know what the science was back then, but it was just interesting that they knew how important it was to breathe out of your nose. And instead of going from that, um, breathing in your mouth where it's more in your is it more in your chest if you breathe out of your mouth and then if you breathe out of your nose it, it's more of a deep breathing really getting through all the airways so um, you know i'm not sure how they really you know i guess they just over it, it was part of their oral tradition the native americans but it, it was in i think it was pretty prominent in every primitive culture that they would Obviously, everybody breastfed. Um, in pretty much every culture, the baby was held upright while they were, were breastfed. And um, yeah, in, in the oral tradition for Native Americans, if uh, the mother noticed that the baby was sleeping with the mouth open, they were, were, they were to close it. Um, so the, the science behind that is, is really just probably in its infancy being understood, but um, without getting, you know, in, in too depth for, for this conversation, um, there's a lot of growth, um, growth factors in the nose, uh, growth receptors, I'm sorry, in the nose that need to be activated by nasal breathing. And if they're not, the, na- the nasal, the cartilage behind the nose, which uh, affects the, the um, forward expansion of the maxilla, doesn't get activated, so that stuff doesn't happen. Um, so 
you know, it, it affects the appearance, but it really affects the, the bite. Um, the same thing if, um, with grain-fed animals, if the, it, involving vitamin K2, which, which again activates that nasal septum to move forward. So there's um, uh, health, allergies, um, if you're not breathing through your nose, the, the, the filtering system is not, not there. That's what the nose is for, to filter out bacteria, allergens, and, and that kind of thing. So you're breathing through your mouth. Um, and there are a lot more allergies because of the, you know, the industrial revolution and pollutants and preservatives and, you know, you go down the list. Um, and yeah, so it's, they're just on all fronts, um, we're kind of being, um, that, you know, we're basically at war here trying to overturn that sort of thing. It was interesting. You mentioned the Industrial Revolution. Was that mm -hmm. so? After the re yeah, there were some there were some studies done um, that were pretty uh, were pretty amazing because they were um, it, it was long known that you could look at the skull and dentition of you know ancient uh, people. Um, a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, five hundred thousand years ago, what, whatever it was, the dentition was generally in perfect um, spatial relationship. I mean, there may have been decay or gum disease, but teeth were not out. Of, they weren't malposed. They were in proper form, wide arches. Um, and, and about the time of the Industrial Revolution, it appeared there was a lot of all of a sudden, um, you know, people had crooked teeth and uh, it was nothing like the preceding generation. So there were some studies done and most of them were to prove that it was a genetic link. Uh, for instance, a, a Scottish person um, mating with, you know, somebody from South America and then the genetic pool got mixed up and maybe the bones were bigger for the teeth and you would have, um, you would have melt, melt those teeth and crooked teeth, whatever. And in a classic study, that, that, that was what was meant to be, um, it was proposed and the, the study was to, to prove that. In, in essence, it found out that it was nothing to do with that. It was entirely environmental and it was all about from Western society and pollutants and preservatives in the environment that caused that change. So they, they would track um, siblings or twins actually that had been separated sometime during birth. One stayed in the, um, in, in some cases like the Aboriginal village or whatever it happened to be, wherever it was, the, the uh, Eskimo village and the sibling was raised in more of a Western culture, and so they had the identical uh, DNA, but the, the child or sibling raised in the Western society would end up with malposed teeth and, and uh, those, those sort of problems, and you know, tonsillitis and uh, a lot of inflammation in the mouth, and the sibling that stayed in the, the more primitive culture ended up with perfect dentition. So the, that was a classic study by Weston Price 
uh, turn of the century. So, mm. Mm -hmm. so it kind of stems down to that mouth breathing again. Again, it was all, yeah, it was, it was all um, things that prevented nasal breathing, so causing, causing mouth breathing, right? And, and that's why I recommended that book for you, because you can reverse that. So if, if all the causes for it, say you find out what the allergies are, um, you take care of the tonsillitis, whatever nasal um, septal deviation, whatever it happens to be, and so, and say that's all taken care of, so you do have an airway that's intact through your nose, you're still gonna be, you, you don't convert back automatically. So once you become a mop breather, it's very hard to go back to being a nasal breather, but it's possible. And that's kind of what that book was more about. So exercises would help to reestablish the nasal breathing. Right, and we'll talk more about maybe that, those exercises and ways you can go into more of a nasal uh, breathing um, to help you uh, move away from the mouth breathing. But, uh, you know, I remember it was when the, the job shifted from like more of like moving to more of like sitting down and being in that sedentary lifestyle that people also shifted towards more of like that mouth breathing and um, things like asthma started to like become more um, like prevalent in, in people uh, after, you know, they were no longer getting that like uh, amount of oxygen that, you know, they weren't getting their heart rate up high enough. Well, because they became more sudden, because the work styles. Yeah, would you agree with that? Well, it makes sense to me. I mean, I, I, don't, I can't say that I've, I've heard that before. But you seem like you. Uh, I thought I researched it, or I thought that was in. Uh, I remember reading that. And, um, well, it would make sense. It's, you know, from an agrarian society, where you know, the farmer went outside. You know, every day, fresh air, um, natural foods, and then versus maybe an industrial job where you're sitting uh, all day long and doing the same thing and in a chair is that I, I, I'm taking that's what you're mm -hmm. getting through so I, I think we're saying the same thing so I, 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 I you know, I'm not sure that it is so much what you're doing or what that industrial type job has produced for us you know so I, I guess they probably both, both play in um, the, the industrial revolution would have been responsible for a lot of pollutants in the air, but yeah, you're right. Probably the sedentary lifestyle or sitting all day um, made it a compound of the problem, I would, I would assume. Mm -hmm. so. so what exercises are there out there to help uh, with nasal breathing? So that, that book in particular, um, and, and I, I, I'm, not, I'm not proposing to be uh, an expert in exercise physiology, but the particular book I had recommended to you was written by a, an Irish exercise physiologist, and he was introduced to the United States. I'm pretty sure um, that the Notre Dame track team, you know, the athletic department hired him to help with the track team and increase the uh, the performance of the athletes. So a lot of the exercises involve lip taping, taping the lip 
Um, of course, I mean, there's a whole structure behind doing it, but to, to force moth breathing, to be, and, and a lot of it's just being aware of, hey, I'm not breathing through, I mean, most people who breathe through their mouth aren't, it's not something they think about, so they're not even, they wouldn't even say they're moth breathers. Um, so first you, you measure it and you see how long, for instance, you can breathe through your nose without taking a breath through the mouth and then trying to increase those times. Um, so you should really be able to breathe um, continually, even at exercise through your nose and not through your mouth. So the book is dedicated to a number of different exercises that helps you migrate along that pathway and you can overcome and some does you know sometimes it involves myofunctional therapy to overcome tongue habits that have developed but most of the time it is is just um exercises that will allow you to you know to breathe through your nose and uh, stop breathing through your mouth definitely uh and also, like if if you know snoring is basically that mouth breathing, so taping your mouth shut will prevent you from uh, doing that, which will kind of save you from getting that sleep apnea, which can cause a lot of um, high blood pressure and yeah, exactly. Other I mean, sleep problems. apnea is becoming a uh, man. I'm sure it always has been a you know problem in modern society, but. And now that we're much more aware of it, we're realizing how much of an impact, it, negative impact it does have on people's um, health. And yeah, snoring, and, and we kind of laugh about snoring all the time, but it's, it is totally pathologic. I mean, it's not something that should happen like ever. Um, but, you know, I, I, I would submit that, you know, occasionally, you know, maybe it's not so much of a habit, but it's, uh, it is progressive and it's, um, um, very, it's very prevalent. So, um, right. anyway, we, we refer a lot of people for sleep studies to, to, to get an accurate measurement of what's happening at night. Mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, you'll time magazine six months ago did a big, um, and it was Pretty much the whole entire mag magazine, magazine uh, that month was on insomnia and the ill effects from that, and how, how you know much of a problem it is in American society and Western society in general. And it, it again all stems from the things we've been talking about here for the last five ten minutes. Mm -hmm. So there's lots and lots of tests, uh, or basically stuff you can add into your workouts kind of find where you're at as far as like a, like if you're a mouth breather or anything, but go ahead and just Google the bolt test is like probably the best place to start for that. Um, you know, just to see how long you can, you know, breath holding uh, exercises uh, can actually help you with like <clears throat> getting that tolerance to see a, uh, like CO2, um, so that's, that will help you um, be in better shape. And I know when I started doing some of the exercises, like a year ago, I would have never been able to like run a half marathon. And I was able to do that recently. And part of that was 
just from consciously making an effort and, and doing these different breath holding techniques and um, you can always improve and it's you know never too late if you're uh, you know a mouth breather or um, just uh, having being in like a, a poor shape you know you can do these sort of exercises anywhere at your at your desk it's and it's a uh, really a good thing to help lower the acidity levels um, in the body yeah so like as far as that goes the um, the, the mop breathing thing I mean it there's some pretty good research now being developed I mean there's there's things like dyslexia ADHD uh, erectile dysfunction bedwetting in children um, a, a lot of that is now starting to be correlated with the oxygen levels um, that, that's, you know, sleep uh, oxygen levels. So it's, it's usually important and that's at a young age. So, so anyway, in, in reference to that, I mean, we, we recommend our, you know, child patients, if there's any inflammation of the tonsils, we recommend an ENT exam and uh, tonsil adenoids really should be removed by the age of five to help with the airway, um, things like that. So we're tongue tie, we're much more proactive in, in managing those things that we never even really paid much attention to 30 years ago. Wow. So what about like wisdom teeth? Like what is that, you know, what kind of, is that like evolution that like some, some people don't even have wisdom teeth anymore? Um, is there like well, yeah I mean I, I, I'm, I'm not like an expert in uh, does that like, have quality or whatever but yeah it appears that wisdom teeth and, and I, I don't think there's a significant um, impact on necessarily the airway of things we're talking about right now but it just to answer your question um, we, we, you know wisdom teeth are probably being um, you know, eradicated slowly from the genetic pool. Um, and the, the thing I, the, the explanation I heard early on was just as teeth wore um, in the past due to the diets that our predecessors had, which were, was a lot greenier and um, it wasn't processed foods, it was like a lot harder foods, that the teeth wore both in between each tooth and on the surface, and it, the wisdom tooth that was necessary at middle age, back then, 17, 18, would have been middle age. So it was a little help along the way, and it doesn't happen to it because of processed foods and, and that sort of thing. The, the, and the jaw uh, size, which is different now, and it, that part does relate to the, the oxygen um, impact into the blood or mouth versus nasal breathing so that we're not getting enough forward growth in the jawbone. So, so both of those impact uh, not having the room for the wisdom teeth. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, I didn't even know that. That's really cool. Um, so what about, like you were saying, the tonsils? Like what if you 
what does that indicate if you haven't had to get re- your tonsils removed as far as for like your well airways? because tonsils um, innately should re- they're only necessary in early childhood and um, four or five hundred years ago it, the tonsils would have just um, they, they would have just regressed on their own with, without needing to be removed. They, they, they served their purpose and they didn't do anything more. Um, but in today with mop breathing, with allergies, asthma, um, they stay inflamed and uh, they do, they block the airway and force forward tongue position um, and, and mop breathing. Hmm. Awesome. Well, let's uh, take a little quick break here. We'll be right back. All right. We are back. So uh, we're here with my good friend, the, the, the dentist of all dentists. He's the man. Uh, really appreciate you um, letting me talk with you this evening. Uh, no, it wasn't probably at the top of your list, but it really means a lot. Um, and I know this will really help a lot of people in the future. Um, so the next thing I want to just ask is, you know, I was like getting a, a job in like the government and I was, I heard like they commit suicide a lot for this certain job. But when I looked up, what I saw at the top of the list on a lot of different sites was that dentists actually have like one of the highest suicide rates. Um, and you've, you've made it through how many years? Of, and I'm still here. And you're still here. <laughs> and, and you're happy and, and uh, you seem to, you know, uh, enjoy life. So what, what do you feel about uh, that statistic and is it true or is it like a myth? Yeah, so you know, it, it's something I've always heard too from the very time I was in dental school. So, you know, I assume there's some truth to it. I, I'm not a, like a student of statistics, but, um, and I'm not a psychologist, but, you know, in giving it some thought, uh, you know, a couple things come to mind. So, I mean, I, th- I think, and it, it may have, you know, I think earlier on we talked about, you know, there was a time maybe 20, 25 years ago where I was, I was struggling with, you know, what I was getting out of dentistry. And some of that is in traditional, in a lot of, and I, since I teach dentists, so I, I mean, I'm exposed to a lot of dentists, so I kind of know what's out. I'm in a group practice where we hire a lot of, you know, new dentists. And I see dentists uh, of all age groups in our group. And I, and I teach at the Las Vegas Institute where there's dentists from around the world coming through. So I am exposed to, to a lot of dentists. Um, and there is quite a difference between most of the you know, colleagues that I know from school and um, who've been around a long time versus, and, and, and I don't think the, the, the length of time in dentistry really has anything to do with it. And the type of student and colleague that I see 
in Las Vegas. So let me, let me explain. Um, I think dentists have a, a tendency to, you know, they're working in a confined space. You're constantly dealing with the emotional impact of invading somebody's private space. So you're, you're, you know, intruding on, on their personal space. So you, you're always dealing with that. So there's a certain amount of anxiety, no matter how, how long you've done it, um, with the psychology of allowing somebody to trust you. Um, and, and I think that wears on you. And if you don't have an out, outlet, like if you're not talking to other professionals and you're staying in your cubicle and dentists tend to be very precise and if things don't work out just perfect, you know, tend to blame yourself. So there's, there's a lot of that, not being able to solve problems. Everything isn't black or white, um, but you're, you're expected to be able to, you know, get people out of pain or whatever it might be, or repair something. And that does get repetitive unless, like what I think I did, at least it worked for me, was, you know, I needed something more and you have to kind of go search it and you have to get outside of that cute, you know, your little workspace and you have to interact with the rest of the health profession. And um, it, it isn't just a inclusive, you know, the oral cavity is, it's dependent on a lot of things. And I think, uh, maybe in training um, over the years, you know, a lot of a lot of dentists think that you know their job is just to take care of the teeth, and those teeth aren't related to anything else. And it's just not the way the body works. It's very dynamic, and you need to be aware of um, what other health professionals can do and how the the bite and breathing and chewing efficiency, how that all is impacted with, you know, from a variety of angles. So to me, that's what's made it an exciting profession that we can explain things to, to patients. It makes sense as big impact in their daily life. Um, you know, we, we're, we're out trying to learn new things all the time. So it's, it's actually very exciting, but. Mm -hmm. But it's easy to get trapped and, and not progress and decide you know enough and keep doing the same thing day in, day out. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I, I think that has an emotional, takes an emotional toll over a lot of people. So that would be my explanation, although it's, there's no statistics to back that up. So for you, you would definitely say, put like networking, like speaking to those new people uh, that have like a different outlook and how to kind of um, add things when that... When you say that, network, you mean among other like colleagues of mine? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's... I, I think you have to go out and search knowledge so wherever it may be and um, it's out there and it, it's exciting to, to find out what other people are doing. It's, it's not... Uh, it's not a... There's, there's no reason to be defensive about people knowing things that you may not know. I mean, it's just natural. I think most of the other health professions embrace that. And for some reason, dent, dentists haven't. I mean, they feel self-conscious. Um, and if they maybe don't know what 
somebody uh, in, the, in the next city might know instead of going out and finding what it is. It's, um, it's, it, it's unusual, but I think it's more the norm than, than the exception. Um, hmm. Well, also, like the, there's like rumors that um, part of it would maybe be like the exposure to laughing gas. I don't know. I've heard that. Like, that's just, I, I, I don't I don't know if like that, you know, if you're, if you're even exposed to that at all, um, as like maybe somehow changing your, being around that day in and day out could possibly mess, mess with your... I'm sure, I'm sure it's possible. I, I have absolutely no basis to, to give you any kind of comment. I mean... And I didn't do any deep research or anything. That was basically something someone else told uh, me, you know, I... So I, I don't know how prevalent it is. I mean, I, I don't know too many people will use it, like, you know, we use it very occasionally. And um, I, I, I couldn't imagine it having an impact on, any, on anybody in, in my situation. But I, I suppose, you know, in some cases it's possible. I could see a, a case where somebody was maybe not happy with the way things were going in their life and, and abused it on themselves, maybe used it themselves. I don't know the, the stats on that either, but that, that would maybe make more sense to me as far as the suicide rate. Yeah, maybe, um, maybe some people in the profession, you do have access to that right. um, out there. And basically it's not just your profession, it's a lot of other factors that go into it because, you know, Stress is a part of life, and you can't just blame it on like one thing, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm sure, uh, but also what so, I so you know I, I when you, when you mentioned about stress, I mean I I do believe stress, you know, has a big impact on our health, um, and you know a lot of the things I see up and coming in medicine have to do with. Um, Increasing the parasympathetic, um, and, I, and I know you, you would relate to this stuff, but um, modalities in the body and decreasing the sympathetic responses, like the fight or flight mechanisms and the adrenal cortical steroids that are produced by the body, and post traumatic, for instance, you know, post traumatic stress syndrome. Um, I mean, it has some relevance in dentistry, but I think in overall um, health, I, you know, I, I, I do think that stress plays a, you know, an impact. And, and again, going back to uh, breathing issues, I mean, I think exercise and proper breathing is, is a big part of stress control and sleep management. I mean, and maybe you know, we, we didn't really, I'm just, speaking extemporaneously, but um, yeah, poor sleep habits, uh, my, my guess totally would, it would uh, totally increase the stress on the body and, uh, you know, the way your the body's ability to, you know, adapt and interact during the day. Mm -hmm. So. As your body produces that, that cortisol, which right. um, can, if, if released at the wrong times, can, uh, uh, you know, cause that 
eating away at, at, at your body a lot more. So definitely sleep sounds like um, a big factor. Uh, and would you say, you know, you have any other advice to uh, give people with maybe their own careers um, that maybe are running into um, trouble or a sticky situation? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, I, I mean, I'm, I'm tired of hearing that, getting you know, uh, get out of your, um, out of your box, but to, um, I think it's important just to go out and seek, uh, information and help. I mean, I think people don't ask for help as much as they should or try to find a mentor in their profession that they can relate to and um, I mean I, I enjoy when like one of the associates in our group um, you know comes to me for advice or get my my intake and that it's anybody who really cares about what they do would love to transfer that whatever information they might have that could possibly help someone so um, I, I think it's important for people to to get out there and you know see what other people are doing and be as involved as possible I think it opens up a lot of uh, possibilities and um, and also listen you know depending on what profession you're in but usually if you're involved with the public um, don't dismiss what people have to say I mean I think people tend to overlook a lot of stuff or stereotype or pigeonhole patients or you know people in business whatever it is and they generally have a lot to say and you may not have the answer or understand it but you know what they say is very pertinent so you know both of those things I think would be helpful pretty much in any profession that's awesome uh, well that sounds like uh, a, a good time there so we'll wrap it up and thanks again for joining us here on the Sticky Situations. Okay, Matt. I'll see you at the Tuesday workout. All right.